0: We're going to start. Uh, this is like the thing to do now. By the way, I'm about to tell you something real like uh, contemporary. We're going to start a new series and that's uh, what churches do now. Start a new series. You got to say that out loud. We're going to start a new series, uh, six weeks long or seven weeks or 10 weeks or 30 weeks. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, the title of it is Slow and uh, you see the great graphic there made by Norley's graphic designer uh, and our own worship leader here. And so uh, so um, something that we want to focus in on. And I know, like, the irony behind, okay, I get this. I'm just going to be real upfront and honest with you. I'm about to tell you to slow down. And I get the irony by by preaching a series titled Slow Down when the majority of our church is retired and already moved pretty slowly. And I hope you're not offended by that, but I, I see the irony behind it. But I hope over the next few weeks that you see... Um, a need in your own life, and if you're already meeting this need, then you're going to help someone else meet the need. To slow down and find the awe and fear that you desperately need in your life—the awe and the fear of Jesus. You know, we've talked about um, for the past several weeks about abiding in Christ, about uh, growing up or maturing in Christ about dwelling or living in Christ, and I don't think there's anywhere else to start than for us to slow down and think, how can we daily, how can we daily slow down and be in awe of Jesus? You know, we we moved from a town named Idaloo, Texas, uh, a couple of years ago. And uh in 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 the town of Idaloo, there are several men and women who work for bear crop science. Maybe you're familiar with bear, aspirin, this company Bear, Bear Crop Science. And several of the men and women who live in Idaloo work for bear crop science, and their job, their job is a cotton seed breeder. They are trying to manipulate cotton seeds so that it can be resistant to drought, resistant to Roundup, resistant to chemicals, resistant to uh, to herbicides, different different types of things, resistant to weather even. Uh, but they're learning that some of those things that they're doing, they still cannot stop uh, some, some things like hail. There's no seed that you can produce, no cotton plant that you can produce that's going to be resistant to hailstones. There's no cotton seed that you can produce or genetically modify that will be resistant to a windstorm or a sandstorm. Uh, Still, there are certain things that you cannot you cannot produce or manipulate the seed to overcome. Another thing that they're trying to do, but they're 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 kind of falling behind because they're not God, number one. But they're trying to genetically modify uh, plants and organisms so that uh, it can be uh, drought resistant but also so that it can be uh, using or really utilizing all the precipitation or water that it receives. If it receives too much, it can still fight through that. If it doesn't receive enough, it's going to fight through that. They're really trying to produce a cotton plant that will do exactly what they want it to do when they want it to do do it so that we can have farmers in our world today who do not complain. And I don't know if you've ever met a farmer, but it's kind of second nature to them when they wake up they complain. They complain that it rained too much, that it's not raining, that it's too hot, that it's too cold, that it's too windy, that it's not windy enough, that the ground's not fertile enough. They fertilize it, it's too fertilized. All these things, is complaining. Uh, there's a saying, hey, it's raining, quit complaining, but that's not true in the farming, the farming world. So we're trying to genetically modify a plant, a seed, to grow when we want it to grow. But but let me just tell you this, according to God's word, you cannot speed up or slow down growth. When a plant who is designed by the almighty designer, designed it to do what it's supposed to do, it will grow when he tells it to grow, and it will not grow when he tells it not to grow. We can try and try and try our best to produce these genetically modified organisms to fit our schedule, but it will only be... It will only be a fake product of a genuine of a genuine plant. And I wonder if, in our go fast-paced, microwave society world, if we're not trying to do the same thing with our faith. If we're not trying to to genetically modify it to meet our own needs, to speed it up, speed growth up as fast as we can, so it will meet the needs that we that we have. Make faith look like what we want it to look like, trying to produce a GMO type of faith, a genetically modified organism or genetically modified faith to meet our needs. Where Christ is the only one, when we're abiding in him, can genetically modify us. If you read Romans 12, 1 and 2, you see that we're trying to be renewed or transformed into the image of Christ. It is a mind thing. It's a a genetic thing. It's a DNA thing. Well, it's just my personality. We use excuses like that all the time. If, if, if my personality wasn't this way, then maybe I could do these things. Well, that's why Christ has come. That's why we have the, the work of the Holy Spirit to modify us, to transform us into His likeness. No longer to use the excuse of, well, I'm this personality, or I'm this type of person, or I'm an introvert, or I'm an extrovert. I'm, a, you know, whatever it is, we're going to use these excuses Christ has come to genetically modify us into His genes, us abiding in Him, so that we grow up in Him. If we were to plant a new uh, grape vineyard, and I know some of you are like, "Oh no, grapes! We're talking about we're going to talk about wine." Stop whining for a second. Let's talk about grapes for a second here. If you're to plant a new, start a new grape vineyard, it's going to take three years before your vineyard produces fruit. That's a long. time process that's quite the investment for a new vineyard waiting around for 3 years or more before your vineyard begins to produce fruit let's speed it up let's make it happen when we want it to happen so that it fits our needs and i feel like as i talk to many people around our city, around our church, friends that I have around uh, the state and around the world, um, I feel like we're trying our best to speed up this process that the Bible calls sanctification, this process of maturing in Christ, this process of becoming more and more like Christ. And let me just tell you this, when you try and do those things, and you try and produce a fruit that is fake, all it leads to is exhaustion. You remember Christ saying, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon yourself. Not trying to produce something fake, but something genuine. When we're becoming like Christ through the will of Christ, abiding in Christ, we can rest in Christ. But we're trying to become like we think we should become in our own ideas. It leads to exhaustion. It's why many of our churches today, including our own sometimes, when it comes to ministry, we feel exhausted. Hey, we're going to have this new ministry opportunity. Who wants to be a part of it? Well, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Because we're trying to produce something that may not be from Christ. The same with missions around the world. We know the needs. We see the stats. We know the needs and the stats of our own state, of our own city, of our own county. We hear these mission statements, and it leads to mission exhaustion. We get so bombarded and tired with these things there's a great uh, there's a great book uh, that I I think may may help some of you uh, when it comes to this decision fatigue that we're just overwhelmed with the amount of things that we have going on in our world in our society in our lives we get so busy that we just we, we become overwhelmed with decision fatigue and we can't make any kind of right decision I'll read this to you stress Maybe you've experienced stress at some point in your life. Stress causes our attention to narrow. You, you know, that moment when you become really stressed by something and your focus, you become very narrowed visioned or tunneled visioned. Stress causes our attention to narrow and to focus on the negative element that we perceive as the threat, whatever the thing may be. A person, a place, a thing, a job, a bank account, a a bill, whatever it may be, the stress is happening and it's a negative element that we perceive as a threat. And so over time, if stress becomes chronic, meaning if it continues constantly, the narrowing focus then develops into difficulty paying attention to other things. And so this stress moment happens and there's a negative threat that's threatening your life that you see and you become focused on that one thing and everything else seems to kind of disappear and you're focused only on that one thing. You can't get that one thing out of your mind. And you hear counselors or psychologists or doctors saying, hey, you need to take a break, take a deep breath, relax, Uh, step back from the moment, see a bigger vision, see that this is not the only thing that's happening at this moment. When you're traveling down the highway and you're going, let's say, anywhere between 60 and 75 miles per hour, because that's what's posted on the signs there. Some of you exceed those at some times. But, but thankfully there are people who turn their lights on and say, slow down. When you're traveling down the highway at those m- amounts of speed, how often are you seeing everything that's going by you? When I was in high school, my aunt and uncle invited me on a trip to go see Texas A&M play Rice in a football game. And on the way down to the football game, at College Station, uh, I asked my uncle, "Hey, would it be okay if we stopped at every historical marker on the way to College Station to read those to read those historical markers?" He said, "Sure, yeah, we can we can make an effort to stop at those 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 historical markers, and if you're driving in the highway, and you've seen these signs before. It says historical marker one mile. Hey, hey, Uncle Howard, we got a historical marker coming up. Are you ready? To yeah, you better be ready too, Matt. You know. So we're driving, and all of a sudden he, he begins to slow down. He doesn't stop, but he begins to slow down, and he says, "Read it as fast as you can." In 1836, oh, that's it, <laughs> Uncle Howard. We're gonna have to stop. We're gonna have to slow down so we can actually read read those things that are on the sign. I feel like in your life and in my life, if we're not slowing down to the things that are most important, we will miss so much. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with it, towards the beginning, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember, trying to produce something or reproduce fruit particularly on your own or with your own power will only lead to exhaustion. When we're depending on our own strength and abiding in our own self, it will only lead to exhaustion. Kevin DeYoung says this, he says, the seed of God's word won't grow to fruitlessness without pruning for rest, quiet, and calm. So if you want to grow and for fruit to be produced, you're going to have to have moments of stillness, moments of quietness, moments of, of calmness. If there's a constant dust storm going on, the cotton plant will not survive. If there's a constant hell storm happening, the corn plant will not survive. There has to be a moment of calmness, of quietness, of stillness. And even in your own life, for fruit to be produced, you must slow down. You must have moments of stillness, of calmness, of rest, so that you can grow in and produce the fruit that Christ desires to produce through you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, we meet up with this great group of people who, uh, who it seems as if today, as we read backwards, many of our Southern Baptist roots come from. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 says this, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. So Moses is declaring something. He's giving some words over to the Israelites and he makes this statement to begin with, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. So when you hear someone say that, hey, listen, I'm about to give you a command. When our kids hear this, I'm about to give you instructions on something to do. And I give these instructions to you, make sure that you're listening well so that you can complete every task that I've given you to complete or every com- commandment that I've given you to, to do. So that you may live and multiply and go in the, and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your father. So there's a stipulation there. I'm going to command you something, listen well, then complete those things or do those things so that you receive this reward. Verse 2 says this, And you shall remember... The whole way or the whole journey that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. So underline or circle for a second here. Uh, You shall remember. Circle the word or highlight or underline the word remember. How many of you forget daily something? You forgot, you forgot. How many of you said this week, I'm sorry, but I forgot about that. I'm sorry, but I didn't remember that. I'm sorry, but I forgot, have forgotten about this thing. We, we live in a, a society that we forget so much because we're not paying attention to... Uh, specific things and you shall remember the whole way or the whole journey the entire journey underline that the entire journey you shall remember the entire journey not just at moments in life not just at Easter or not just at Christmas but you shall remember the entire journey that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness so daily you are to remember as you're walking this journey As you're going on this path, that it is the Lord your God who has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might, here's why he led you, here's why he was with you, and here's why you were going in this this wilderness for 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not person belonging to Jesus this morning, I wonder if you've not been walking through a journey for a length of time, maybe so that the Lord would know your heart, that he would test you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3 says this, And he humbled you, and he let you hunger and led you with manna. Which you did not know, nor did did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's interesting here, because he used a reference to something physical that they've been eating. But then all of a sudden puts this God juke or this Jesus juke in here and says, but you cannot live on this manna alone. You must live by the words that come from the mouth of the Lord. See, there has to be a ruling authority over your life, and it must be God's words. If you're in Sunday school or would like to be in Sunday school or a part of the discussion questions in Sunday school, there are two podcasts that are posted for this week. I'd love for you to go and listen to those by a pastor who happens to be the Southern Baptist president now. Two podcasts, um, two sermons about the authority of Scripture in our in our lives. I think would be very helpful for you. He humbled you. He let you hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not even know where it came from, or your fathers did not know. You'd never seen it before. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So just a quick side note here. This is really important for us to see. Christ uses this example in Matthew chapter four. Also, we see that that we're understanding that people who belong to God should live by every word that comes from God's mouth. All the revealed words that we have that come from God, the inspired words that come from Him, the Old Testament and the New Testament that we use as, as His holy scripture, His holy words to us today, we should be dwelling in them daily. If you are not reading scripture, if you're not studying God's word, you're missing out and you're going to lead yourself into exhaustion because you're going to be trying to depend upon yourself instead of God's word. Let me just ask you this. If you ate a whole chocolate cake once a year, in the entire thing, think about the biggest cake, birthday cake you've ever seen. If you ate that whole chocolate cake by yourself once a year, how would that Im- impact your health? Like just once a year, you ate the entire cake. It was just one day, but you ate the entire cake in one setting. How would that impact your health for the whole year? I mean, would anybody even know? Could, could could we even tell that you had that once a year? Maybe, but probably not. But let me ask you this: If you had that whole chocolate cake, the entire thing, every day, how would that impact your health? Would other people be able to tell? Could we see it? Hey, do you have chocolate cake again? Because something's different about you. <laughs> Did you buy a new wardrobe? Because it looks like you've been eating chocolate cake again. It would be different. Your life would be different. When you only dwell in God's word on Sunday or on your coffee cup Monday, when you're only dwelling in God's word in those moments moments, or those events, Christmas or Easter, or whenever it is, or whenever you're fed chocolate cake at a birthday party. Could we really tell that you're abiding in Christ or letting his words live in you? See, discipleship and sanctification is a daily walking. It's a matter of consistency. It's eating chocolate cake every single day. And when you do, people will begin to recognize you live by something different. You're eating something different. What is it that you're feeding on? Well, let me just tell you. Christ said and God said and Moses was used in this moment that we should not live on just bread alone, but we should live by every word that comes from God's mouth. And so I'm going to allow his words to dictate my life. Moving on, verse 4 says this. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your food... Did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. So what are we going to do? If we're the Israelites and Moses is commanding us these things, we're going to live by every word that comes from God's mouth. We're going to listen to these commandments and we're going to fear God walking in his ways. Notice that it says walking. I know some of you are going to say, that's all I can do is walk, and I can barely do that. But what about Paul when he says run the race? I, I get it, okay? But but this walking, this discipleship is a is a walking, a steady pace, a consistency, like a turtle, not a rabbit. So you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, obviously not southeastern New Mexico, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, of pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat uh, bread with, uh, without scarcity, uh, in which you lack, will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Give me some of that, please. Let's move there today. How? Where is the ticket? Send me there, Lord. Verse 11 says this. Now take care lest you forget. So so how do we forget something? When we're not being constantly reminded of it. You've been to a wedding, right? You get get the whole symbolic thing about putting the wedding ring on. Hey, husband, this is a reminder. You're married. Don't take it off. Be reminded of your unending, never-ending love for your bride. It's an important reminder. Don't let yourself be forgetting this important thing. Take care lest you forget. What are you going to forget? Forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Well, come on now. You're 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 giving us this bread. Uh, We're we're being led by you. You're with us the whole way. You're thinking that we're going to forget these things, really? Uh, Do you know us that well? Verse 12. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you out of the, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So beware, verse 17 says, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Like, I have no remorse in saying that this is a great picture of the Americans that I know, particularly the American Christians that I know. By my power, by my might, by my education, by my will, have I gotten myself to this point in my, in my life. Look at these things that I have. Look at these refrigerators that are full, these houses that are full. Look at all these things that I have, and we have forgotten who they came from. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. That we might learn, oh church, that we might learn from this example that we would not be like these people who forget God, who forget his power and his might, who worked through life or walk through life, or run through life, this journey that we're on, though it may be in a wilderness, and forget daily the power and the might of God. Consumed with a number of things, distracted by a number of tasks, distracted by bank accounts, distracted by fields, distracted by friends, distracted by facebook, distracted by a number of things and we forget constantly who god is. Turning to the new testament, Luke chapter 10. I marked it with a sticky note so I could find it faster than you. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Discipleship is about abiding in Christ. It's about a consistency. It's not about events. It's not about 40 years in the wilderness and the couple of events that happened in that. But it's about a daily life, daily remembering who God is. Events not driving us or driving our relationship with Christ, but our relationship with Christ driving every event in our life. Luke chapter ten is a story of the Good Samaritan. You know it, we've read it recently. But at the end of that story, we meet up with two ladies, a lady named Martha and a lady named Mary. Two different personalities. We're going to blame it on. But but one has this personality and one has this personality. Verse thirty eight of Luke chapter ten says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. You see the difference there? Now Martha, she did well. She welcomed Jesus. Come on in, Jesus. Love for you to come and hang out with us. Mary said, I want you to come in. I'm going to welcome you also, but I'm going to sit at your feet. Verse 40 says this, but Martha was distracted with much serving or with much preparation or or distracted by many tasks. Martha was distracted. It's interesting what she was distracted with. Probably good things. Could be godly things. I mean, she, she had Jesus in her home. Shouldn't she be serving, getting things ready, preparing? She had many tasks to do. And her sister... Seem to be lazy. All she wants to do is sit down at that guy's feet and listen. Isn't there better things to be doing with our our life? But Martha was distracted. Interesting little Greek word there for distracted. It's perispaio. spao. the second part of that word, is where we get our word spasm from. Somebody who's spasming, you know, they're not controlling what's going on in their body. The first part of that word is around. So here we have Martha just spasming around, not really doing anything, distracted by so many things, so many tasks to complete. She's not seeing, and like one pastor says, and savoring Jesus. But instead she's distracted by so many other things, forgetful of who God is. Not mindful of how important it is to sit at the feet of the Savior. It's interesting also, you know, I mean, maybe you're like me and like to understand what a name means. You know, why do you name somebody the name that you've given them? What, what, is, what does your name mean? I know that when you look at me, you understand that my name is Matt and it means gift from God. And that's what you think about every time you see me. Ah, oh, what a gift from God. Gerald, I don't know if you know this, but Gerald actually means one who tells stories. And so every time you see him, you say, that's not the truth. But uh, it actually means someone who carries around spears. So careful, Gerald. But Martha, her name means she was rebellious. Martha means she was rebellious. So if you have a friend or maybe somebody in this room whose name is Martha, you can just say, hey, wait a minute here. Do we know anybody that fits that? That name, Martha, she was rebellious. Maybe she didn't mean to be. Her parents didn't know much. Maybe they just thought it was a cool name. It sounded cool. Hey, Martha, yeah, well, you know that means she was rebellious, right? And then years later, Jesus comes into her home. She welcomed him. She did a great job of welcoming, inviting him into her home, but she missed out on something so significant. You know, when I was eight years old, I invited Jesus into my home earthly dwelling here. I invited him into my home. So we say in our language. I want to invite you in, Jesus. Come and take over. Dwell in me. But then after that, how often am I like Martha and rebel and distracted by so many things and even complain about it, about those who are sitting at Jesus' feet. All they do. They're so lazy. They just sit around and read God's word all the time. They have it memorized. They don't even have to look in, in the concordance. They know where the books of the Bible are. They don't have to have sticky notes to, to get to the place because they know exactly. They spend so much time living, living on God's word. Verse 40 again, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Lord, do you not care? Look at all these tasks that I have do you not care that she's left me to do this alone? She seemed like she was in the right place. I mean, she's a woman, and in this culture, the woman shouldn't have been hanging out with the men. The woman should have been in the kitchen dealing with the task that should be, serving however it needed to be done. But instead, she's seated there at the feet of Jesus. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Gently, I'm sure. Martha, Martha. Listen to it as its meaning. She was rebellious. She was rebellious. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Every week on Monday or Sunday, I print off this little thing to help me. On one side of the paper, it says to do. And on the other side, it says to decide. This helps me to uh, really focus in on the one thing or the one things That are most necessary. What is it I need to do this week? And what are the things that I can push off and decide to do later? What are the one, what is the one thing that is necessary? Tim Dearborn says this. He wrote a book called Beyond Duty. I recommend that you purchase it. He says this, according to the gospel, What Christ has already accomplished is far more determinative and significant than anything else yet to be done. So whatever you have on your to-do list or your task for today, understand person belonging to Jesus, that compared to the completed work of Christ, it is nothing. The world's great need is less than Christ's great victory. See, Christ's great victory solved the greatest need problem in the world. And when we minimize that, we minimize the greatest thing in history. And we as the church of all people should be maximizing the greatest thing that has ever been done. And when you abide in Christ, you slow down and you become in awe of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Don't you think back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God knew that his followers would be the same way? You'll be distracted. You'll see all these things, this wealth, the health, all the things that you're accumulating. You'll be distracted by the many tasks that accompany those. But do not forget who supplied all those things. Do not forget who led you out through all those things. Do not forget who has been with you through every moment. Do not forget the Lord your God. Walk in His ways. Fear Him. Have all of Him and Him alone you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, you can turn there if you so desire. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came and invaded the lives of some followers, and then they began preaching and doing these miraculous things. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36, uh, Peter has been preaching this sermon, or verse 37, and after he preached this incredible sermon, he said this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I'm just going to be real honest with you. As as somebody who's trying to be a preacher or a pastor, I'm longing for the moment when, after a sermon, you hear somebody say, I've been cut to the heart. Brother, what shall I do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, verse 39, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40, And with many other words he he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then this happened. Then those people decided to devote themselves to something. Decided to give their lives over to something. Daily doing something. It says this. They devoted themselves to these simple things. They slowed down and devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And then this is what happened. Don't skip down. Don't be Southern Baptist and skip down to the end of the chapter and think, oh, I know what happens. When they did all these things, then the Lord added to their number. No, no. Verse 43 comes before. Verse uh, 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then what happened? And awe came upon every soul. They devoted themselves to those four simple things. And then all came upon them. They became aware of who God is. They became aware of who Christ is. And because of that, all came upon every soul. And then what happens? And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to so all as any had need. Understand, you will work and work and work yourself into exhaustion. You will try your best to give up the things that you've acquired or gained, thinking that you're doing it for a godly purpose. You will give 10% of your, of your paycheck or whatever you want to call it, your salary, to the church thinking that it's it's what God desires of me. You try and you try and make it a part of worship, but until you have all of Jesus, it will only be a religious duty. It will only be something that you're trying to bear on your own. But once you become in all of Jesus, then willfully and obediently you will abide in Christ and not self any longer. And in that every moment of your life, you will desire to worship Christ and Christ alone. The result of their devotion, the result of their devotion to these simple tasks was awe and fear of the Lord. It goes on to say in verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as as any had need. And day after day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then the Lord added, to their number day by day those who were being saved do you know why the Lord added to the number those who were being saved because the saved people were in awe of Jesus the saved people (laughs) worshipped Christ and Christ alone they were not anxious and toiling about with things of the world but instead they saw that things of the world were fleeting and they wanted to like we've been saying They wanted to maximize the eternal king. And people began seeing in their life Jesus. And when people saw Jesus, people were saved. Lord Jesus, help us to slow down. Help us not to be distracted by tiny things compared to the great victory of Jesus. Help us to be known as a people who love Jesus. Help us to be known as a people who have all of Jesus. God help us not to forget. God prompt us daily to encourage one another. God prompt us daily to study your scripture, God, prompt us daily to abide in you. God, prompt us daily, though it may be painful, it seems, at time. Prompt us with your discipline so that you can test our heart, so you can know if we're going to keep your commandments. God, we know that you're full of grace. Grace we are so undeserving of that. God, with your grace, filling our lives, God, help us to be in awe and fear of you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.